Nice to know you're all still talking to each other, so it's good. And uh, welcome to if you're online and uh, sharing in the service um, by Wi-Fi. It's good to have you with us too. We're continuing our series on Talking Jesus, and this morning we're going to be uh, looking at Jesus um, talking about Sabbath. Um, we're going to read from Mark chapter 2, verse 23, through to chapter 3 and verse 6. Um, if Jesus got into trouble for anything with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the kind of the religious thought police of the day, it was his approach to the Sabbath day, which for the Jews is a Saturday, not a Sunday. We call this the Lord's Day because it's Resurrection Day, um, but their Sabbath is Saturday. So Mark 2:23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, what they're doing is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread which was lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how to kill Jesus. It's a... Uh, Ten years ago this week that my mum passed away, she died. If you read her death certificate, it says that mum died from osteoporosis. Uh, some of you know mum, some of you know that she had this thing, it's called brittle bone disease. Osteo is bone, porosis is brittle. And um, she was 79 when she died, and she, she diagnosed with it 12 years earlier because she began to break bones. Um, we kind of joked that she could break bones without just by looking at them, which is, which is virtually true as well. And uh, she once broke both her legs and then fell. If that makes sense, it's true, she did. <laughs> both her legs broke and then she fell down. People say, oh, mum's had a fall and broke legs. No, 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 her legs broke and then she fell. It was that bad. But we were always kind of hoping for a, a turning point that, that mum would, would get better and her and dad would kind of begin to enjoy retirement once again. They'd had a, a fantastic first 10, 12 years of retirement, been very active in, uh, in serving God in churches and stuff. But then uh, the Christmas before she died, 
And my dad and one of my brothers was with a consultant and the consultant looked at them and said, um, you need to understand, Anne is dying. And when they came on and shared that news, I suddenly kind of went, oh yeah. And it actually helped me in my grief process to understand that these 12 years, it, it hadn't been a case of waiting for turning the corner and her getting better. It would actually been a slow 12 years downhill process towards mum passing away. And so on her death certificate, it says that she died of brittle bone disease. When we read this story or these two little stories of Jesus with the Pharisees and their, their, their hatred, their venom towards him because of his attitude to what you did and didn't do on the Sabbath, it says that Jesus was angry and distressed at them because of their hardness of heart. Now, that word hardness there is porosis, brittle. And um, it's the same word as mum's disease, osteoporosis, brittle bone, except the word in Greek for heart is cardia. They had, they had porosis of the cardia or cardioporosis. They had brittle hearts. And what they didn't understand, that their brittle attitude to law, as opposed to the grace of God, was killing them. Just like we didn't understand that mum's osteoporosis was killing them, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law didn't get that their hard-hearted attitude, their brittle-hearted attitude to God's law and laying that over everybody else was actually killing them. And that made Jesus angry because they didn't get grace. And as at one point he said, you, you go overseas to bring somebody into your teaching and you end up making them just as much a child of hell as you already are. When it comes to the Sabbath, um, Orthodox Jews then and even now, amazingly, had 39 different categories of what you, you had to regulate on keeping God's day, the Sabbath day. 39 different categories. The worst thing was that those 39 different categories were also split up into loads of different things of coulds and could not do. And, um, and that ended up with nearly around about 300 different rules that you had to kind of keep on the Sabbath day. Now, before you think, well, it's not worth getting out of bed because just getting out of bed is going to break a rule. Uh, don't forget when you, those of you learned how to drive, when you began to learn to drive, it was like, Oh, do I press this now? Do I press that now? When do I indicate? When do I look in the mirror? And there's kind of a thousand and one things to learn all at the same time. But as you learn, they just become so natural to you um, that, you know, you set off down the middle lane of the motorway and you just fly. It's great. <laughs> By the way, don't you dare. <laughs> it's the left-hand lane. <laughs> right. It becomes natural. So they, they learn all these laws, it, it not, but it not just become natural. It becomes something that they almost venomously protected because they believed that somehow being obedient to God would keep them in God's good books and that meant they lost sight of God's grace completely. So they had laws about what you could carry, what you could burn, what you could extinguish, what you could finish. Laws about not writing, laws about erasing, laws about cooking, laws about washing, laws about sewing, laws about tearing, laws about knotting, laws about walking 
and laws about reaping. So when the disciples walked through a field and plucked an ear of corn, rubbed it in their hands, blew the husk away so there was nice little bits of corn left for them to chew on as they were walking, that was work! Don't you dare work! That's that Sabbath breaking! And for Jesus to speak to a man in the synagogue and say, stretch out your shriveled hand and heal him. That was work. That's Sabbath breaking. So these third categories with subsections that meant that they were constantly, constantly kind of looking at how they obeyed the Sabbath. I remember reading about this once and uh, shared it uh, a long, long time ago, and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I know all about that, and it was the Shabbat Goy, Goy is boy. And um, because they couldn't light a fire on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath, they would literally set the fire the day before. It was Sabbath preparations. They did loads and loads of preparations so they didn't have to work. They would set the fire the day before, they put matches on the mantelpiece and a penny. And the man of the house would walk to the door and open the door on, on the, the Sabbath. And um, the Shabbat guy was a, a Gentile boy, a non-Jewish boy, who knew he could earn a penny or two by walking down the street of a Jewish ghetto and, um, and light fires. And all, all the, the man of the house would do is the Sabbath boy was walking past would just raise his elbow which was a signal that the boy would then walk into the house, walk into the front room, pick up the matches, light the matches, light the fire, pick up his penny and walk out again. And I know people who knew boys who, who earned a little bit of pocket money that, that way. That was how strict, how strict they were. And when they come at uh, Jesus and say, your disciples are law-breaking, Jesus reminded them that way back in the Old Testament part of the Bible, in First in Samuel um, chapter 21, David was fleeing with his men. And um, as he did that, they were without food. So they went to a priest and said, we need food. And the priest said, the only food is consecrated food. Every day they made 12 special loaves of unleavened bread that they presented to God. Every day, the following day, they would take those loaves, replace them with fresh ones, and those 12 loaves would be for the priests only because they'd been presented to God and the priests got to eat that bread. And the priests gave David and his men consecrated bread. In other words, the grace of giving trumped the legalities of law. Have you got it? The grace of giving trumped the legality. And Jesus said that to the Pharisees, but they didn't like it because <laughs> you're still breaking the Sabbath in their books. And Jesus made that point. It's a fantastic black and white movie if you get to see it. Forget the Disney version, all right? Um, Charles Lawton as the hunchback of Notre Dame in a 1930s film absolutely wonderful performance but at some point in Paris there's a, a vendetta against gypsies and the gypsies have to flee Paris but one gypsy Esmeralda or dare I say it Esmeralda <laughs> Esmeralda 
flees not from Paris, but flees into the centre of Paris and, and flees into the Notre Dame Cathedral for sanctuary, for safety. And as she flees, then the, the soldiers are chasing her and they get up to the doors. Esmeralda's got into the church and the doors are shut and they bash on the doors. The priest comes to the doors and they say, we want to come in and we want to get that, that woman that, that you are giving sanctuary to. And um, they said, no, you can't come in. You can't come in because she's safe in here. And they said, it is the law. And the priest looked at them and said, behind these doors there is no law. Only grace. They didn't say that, but there's no law. And what Jesus was trying to kind of get the disciples and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to understand is that the law only does one thing. It points out that we fail it. And what we need beyond law is again and again and again we need grace. And he was trying to show them that how that grace worked even on the Sabbath with all these hundreds of things that you could, couldn't, could not do. And so he speaks to them. God had said when he gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, six days will you labour, and then because God rested on the Sabbath, you rest too. There's a creation principle that rest is actually good for us. But also in Deuteronomy 6, when that's kind of repeated, he says, you get to rest on the sixth, seventh day, the Sabbath day, but you remember on the Sabbath day that you were slaves in Egypt. You get to rest as a creation principle, but you get to rest as a work principle. In other words, you don't make your slaves work on the Sabbath. You give them the grace of rest and relaxation. In other words, we don't get so bound up into the busyness of what we're doing that that lays over into rest. Into the idolatry of work we break so that we worship God. Into the idolatry of our busyness, our distractedness. We stop so we find a space to worship him. You know, we don't have 39 categories. But as I was prepping this week, I sat down and thought, but we do, and many, many more. We live with, with layers in our lives of things that actually become, if you will, laws that, that bind us up. And you might go away and think, well, I can think of a thousand more. Well, you probably can. But we live with, I'd better, and I ought to. We live with, I've got to. We live with, I need to. We live with work, we live with family, we live with finance, we live with debt, we live with mortgage, with illness, with grief, with future, with children, with parents, with marriage, with relationships, with war. We live with COVID, we live with clothes, we live with looks, we live with mental health, we live with feelings, we live with failures, we live with sin. We live with spirituality, we live with addictions. We live with careers, we live with exams, we live with shame, we live with guilt, we live with friends, we live with houses, we live with status, we live with promotion, we live with sex, we live with sleeplessness, we live with computers, we live with apps, 
Got more apps on my phone than cells in my brain. <laughs> the worst thing about it is they're all intuitive. Listen, I haven't got an intuit in my body. I can just about switch my phone on. Just so you know, that prayer app on your prayer cards works. I've tested it this morning. <laughs> right? Okay. We live with a thousand of things that create layers which become laws that rule our lives. And if there isn't one of those in that list of 39 that I've just read, including God, including media and others, then you will certainly have some. Because just the way, part of who we are and the brokenness of, of who we are works is that these layers become laws and stories that we tell ourselves that rule our lives. How on earth do we begin to break from those things? I love what Jesus said when he said in Matthew's gospel, good news story in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 28, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now you might have heard, if you've been around church a while, that the preachers who preach on this will tell you that a yoke was something that uh, an oxen would have strapped across its back to marry it to another oxen so they could pull the heaviness of the plough or the heaviness of the cart. So Jesus was giving you relief from that. Some might say, um, you might have seen old pictures or pictures of, of kind of milkmaids carrying a yoke across their shoulders and down from the yoke, it's like a wooden bar that, that nestled on their shoulders and down from the yoke would be um, uh, pails or buckets of milk. And, and they would carry this heavy load of the, of the milk they'd just, just done when they'd been milking the cows. And, and those are good descriptions of what that word yoke means, but there was another yoke. And actually, if you put yourself under a rabbi, a teacher of the law in Jesus' day, that would be called the yoke of the rabbi. The yoke of the rabbi. In other words the weight or the burden of the rabbi's teaching was something that you came under and you took up. And Jesus is saying, I'm a rabbi, but I'm not like the rabbis that are going to put burdens upon you. I'm not like the rabbis who are going to end up making you obey so many laws you don't know left from right and you don't know which way to put your socks on. By the way, I did have a pair of socks that had an R and an L on. And I didn't think it, it wasn't because I was stupid, right? <laughs> okay, they were Marks and Spencer's best, I got them for Christmas. And actually the way they were woven, they fitted one foot better than the other. And, and I tell you what, if you got them wrong, it was weird because you walk, I do that, I walk like that anyway, so it doesn't matter, right? But Jesus said, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm not this kind of person who's going to put so much law on you that you can hardly breathe or live. My yoke's easy, my burden's light. I love the translation of that verse 
when it comes through in Eugene Peterson's The Message. Listen, listen to these words. Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live lightly, freely. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says, I'm not going to put a yoke across your shoulders. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus said, all those layers across your life, whether it's the burden of war or the burden of debt, whether it's the burden of addiction, whether it's the pressure of work, all those layers, I'm not putting those on you. I want you to, to walk with me and learn the unforced rhythms of life. Find out that God's grace is beyond law. So how, how on earth does that begin? Well, I've only got one thing to say about this, and it's simply this. I want you to start something. So go away and think, oh, the pastor's given us something to start. I want you to start stopping. I want you to start stopping. On a regular basis, everything that you're doing, phone off, TV off, music off. Find a space, and I don't care if it's five minutes, 50 minutes, five hours, it doesn't matter. Find a space where you start stopping. Because you won't find the peace of God rushing around, carrying all the yokes that you're already carrying now. And to begin to build into your life the beauty of a discipline of quietness and space. So start stopping. That's all. And if all you go away with this morning and you forget everything else I've said, please remember, start stopping. Some of you do. Some of you already know what it is to just find that space. I've learned to do it on a daily basis. I have a, a pint, pint of tea in a Mickey Mouse mug, for goodness sake. And um, I take that into our little garden room conservatory with my Bible and my journal and my pen and my hymn book. And, and I start stopping. Before anything else happens in the day, I start by stopping. Now, I know some of you, you're not morning people. But please you will not experience rest from all those layers of law that are written into your life if you don't actually create the discipline in your life of starting to stop. When you do that, you're throwing down the idol of your time. You're throwing down the idol of your priorities. You're throwing down the idol of the thousand and one distractions with all the apps on your phone and the 
stuff on Netflix or Prime Video or whatever else you're watching. It's down to you. Down to you what you do. There's a beautiful little story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus visits the home of, of Martha and Mary and uh, Martha's the busy one. She's the one with all the layers. And she's like, oh, Jesus is here, the saviour of the world. And she's probably nothing like that. Um, and she's probably just thought, Jesus is here, he's very, very special. We're better. Quick, 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 quick. Oh, no, 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 I've not swept the hearth. I've not done the room. I've not done the washing up. Oh, you'll see that. I've not done the washing up. And so she's busy, busy, busy. Oh, I wonder if you like scones. Or I wonder if you like flatbread. I don't know. Jew is, yeah, it'll be flatbread. He's a Jew. And uh, all that kind of stuff going on. You know what happens, don't you? Going on in her head. And then she turns round because she thinks she's going to get help with the sister Mary. She turns round and Mary is at Jesus' feet, knelt at his feet. Now, self-respecting ladies and self-respecting rabbis don't allow that to happen, just by the way. You would not have a, a lady knelt at your feet, possibly your wife, within the closed doors of your home, but nowhere else in public. And Martha looks around and says, Jesus, will you sort that woman out? She should be helping me with the washing up and the cooking and the flatbed's not going to rise if she doesn't come and need it. Think about that one. <laughs> All right. So Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, Martha. And you can almost feel the way he says it. He's like, he's trying to slow her down. And he says, you're busy, but Mary's actually chosen the better thing. What's Mary done? She started stopping. She stopped at the feet of Jesus. And maybe that's what we've got to keep learning and keep learning and keep learning to do. I have a, an old song from Sunday school days that rattles round in my head a lot. Um, said the robin to the sparrow, friend I'd really like to know, why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so? Said the robin to the sparrow, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. I just, just love that. I love it. It stayed with me for life. So the Sabbath is a law, isn't it? It's there in the Ten Commandments and Jesus said those things aren't going to pass away. But it's very clear from the way Jesus lived Sabbath that it was very different to all these rules and layers and layers and layers of rules. He lived it in grace. He lived it in rest. He lived it in peace. He lived it in liberty. And I want to encourage you to live Sabbath <laughs> as a part of your life I encourage you to start stopping will you do that